David Buglas has worked around Europe in corporate business, but in January he returned to his roots and joined the board of directors at Berwick Rangers. Born in the walled town across the border in England, David has made it his mission to encourage locals to fall back in love with a club that plays in Scotland once more. After falling out of the SPFL last year into the Lowland League, it's a tough ask. But David has big plans and a pedigree in self-starting and seizing on opportunities. As well as talking about the targets, we'll hear how he went from an average player, his words not mine, to working with Derek McInnes on the backroom staff at St Johnston for three years. Plus, we'll speak to him about how he manages to double up his director's role at Shieldfield by heading up the Football Operations Department at Glasgow City. There, he oversees an academy of over 180 girls and works alongside their manager, Scott Booth. It's all here on Down the Divisions. Thanks for joining us for another 60 minutes or so looking at the lower leagues. Well, Paul, last week we were on about uh, news of training being halted and, and now it's back and the green light's been given once more. How's that left you at New Mains? I'm lost, to be honest, Gareth. I'm not, <laughs> not going to lie because last week I can't remember if we were we were stopped or if we were started again. We were halted last week, weren't we? So, uh, obviously, it come about, uh, I'd mentioned last week, I was away and then we get this email saying that there'll be no more training. And then this week, we've had a, an email saying that we can return and it's bigger numbers. I'm going to be completely honest with you. I, I'm sure I'm like most of the managers. I'm, like, I'm slightly lost with it at the moment. We were we were allowed to go back training last night, but I've just said no training until we, we, we make sure that we, we're complying and doing everything right. So today I followed the guidelines and I went on uh, as a, a course. You can go on an online course that the Scottish FA's put on that was supplied by the Scottish Rugby Union, I believe. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I sat a test and uh, I went through it all uh, as COVID as a COVID officer of the club. However, it never even asked for my name, <laughs> so so never asked for my name, my address, my email. I've just sat and watched these videos, answered the question. You to get 100% for you went the next one. So again, I'm thinking I'm now back at catch 22, saying how strict is this? I actually think the league needs to come out and actually. Comply, you know, as a compliance officer, so weird, so weird, not doing things wrong, thinking we're doing things right. So I'm a bit confused. I'm going to spend probably tomorrow morning because the team's scheduled to go back tomorrow night, just trying to go through one or two wee things. Because as I say, I'll not be the only manager out there that's lost, and uh, I think the clubs are just maybe needing a wee bit more guidance, maybe put down in black and white. The league did send out a form this week. It was two columns on it do's and don'ts but if you actually read it line by line it actually made out you could do stuff you had to align it with a heading up above that says don't so tomorrow morning before we can go back I'm going to just have to double check uh, and as I say I would love the league I know they can't go around every team but I would love some kind of support and some gains to make sure we're doing it right on saying that and I'll, and I'll shut up in a minute I've drove by the local sports centre tonight and there's a team in two kits uh, you know, playing seven asides across the road is clearly organised. They're wearing strips, uh, and I just think to myself, maybe it's not their fault. Maybe they've been, you know, they've not picked up on the guidelines very well. However, it's wrong, and they're breaking rules. And I think clubs are going to be breaking rules all over the place. Not saying deliberately, but certainly uh, by not understanding, because the instructions is not really clear. Yeah, and I guess I guess not just for for new mains, but right across right across Scottish football, it's important that 
that there's clarity there so that the things aren't done wrongly and you're then having to cure things. You want to prevent those things happening in the first place before they happen. Yeah, but what's going to happen, Gareth, is I know somebody this week who had to go for a COVID test uh, and we've had a, a phone call last night that one of our players who's out in the weekend is to go for a COVID test and some of the locations they're having to go and one was my sister. My sister had to go for a COVID test in the weekend and had to go to Edinburgh Airport for it. So that means I think I think the infrastructure is maybe struggling. A lot of people are having to go for tests or phoning one. Is it one one one? You need to phone. So by rushing us back and us not doing things right, it could we could have an email in a couple of weeks and stop training again. So that, I think my point being that we need to make sure we're just doing a hundred percent things 100% right. But well, we want to hear your thoughts and comments too, and, and that includes on, on what you think about uh, how the whole coronavirus uh, return from coronavirus return to training after the coronavirus lockdown is being administered. Uh, you can email us at downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Hi, I'm Craig Menzies, the Athlete and Athletic Captain, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Berwick Rangers Director David Buglas is our guest this week. Thanks for joining us, David. Good to have you along. Uh, thank you, Gareth. Uh, thank you, Paul, for the invite. Um, yeah, no, looking forward to it much, and uh, I'm, I'm off on holiday this week from work, so uh, yeah, it's a, it's a nice fill-in. It's either that or sitting downstairs in my mum's house, speaking to my mum and dad, so it, it gets me away from that. <laughs> Good stuff. We'll, we'll chat some more in a moment. But before we do, of course, we've got the down the divisions decided to start things off. Uh, it's still two apiece. But, Paul, you'll be glad to know tonight I've got you a really easy one that you can't fail on at all. But you um, see this every week and, and you were asking me earlier how old Dave is. And I said, I, 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 I couldn't, you know, so that means you're going for something in the 60s or 70s. <laughs> and, and, and Dave's now pointing that he's 50. So... <laughs> I thought you said he was 62. Dave, Dave, he's going to say when was when did Emmerdale Farm first come on the telly or something like that. <laughs> anyway, fire away. Let's hear it. Emmerdale Farm, that's before my time, Paul. Well, yeah. he um, asked about last of the summer wine a couple of weeks. So let's see. <laughs> right, so this week we're looking for the year, and we'll bring you in on this, uh, David. When, uh, when Tayport won the East Region Super League, British and US troops invaded Iraq and Saddam Hussein's statue was toppled. Dirty Den returned to East Enders 14 years after he was killed off. Stevie Fowler would know this one. Yeah. And AC Milan beat Juventus on penalties in the Champions League final at Old Trafford, Paul. Right, so <laughs> obviously Dave will be allowed to go first, uh, but... <laughs> Any ideas, David? I, I, I think, I, well, so Ben, my son, is 19 coming up next month, and he was born in 2001. I think Iraq and the statue might be the year after that, or maybe two years after that, so possibly 2002, 2003. Okay, I'll, go, I'll go 202 then. <laughs> I'm actually thinking it's later than that. That's just terrible. I'm going through life events. Hope my wife doesn't listen. I'm thinking about my divorce and everything. I get <laughs> 
I got divorced. My ex-brother-in-law was in the army. He was in Iraq and all that. So, oh, Mrs. David, I know, listen to this show. Uh, right, let me think. How long have I been divorced? 12 years? Oh, I've not been 12 years. 10 years. I'm, I'm thinking 2005. We'll find out the answer at the end of the show. Oh, jeez. Oh, and you're obviously going to edit the divorce bit out. Oh, I'll, be, I'll, I'll be on my second one. I'm not even 45 yet. <laughs> I'm Adam Hopes, co-manager of Drumchapel United, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Berwick Rangers director David Buglis is with us this week. Uh, David, I mentioned in the intro about you wanting to get the people of Berwick to fall in love with the club again. And I noticed there was a, a quote from you saying... You want them to fall in love with a club and not necessarily to fall in love with football again. If I'm not yeah. misquoting you, and and do yeah. you think they'd fallen out of love with the club in, in the in the years before with the way where you know the where, where the club has gone, where the club has ended up? Yeah, I mean we're we're a funny club, Gareth. I mean pretty unique. I mean okay, forget football to start with. Berwick people generally are funny people. Um, you know we have that perennial. We're not English. We're not Scottish. We're actually Berwickers. We're different. You know, we're almost like the Republic State of Berwick upon Tweed. But <laughs> um, you know, so somewhere in the middle. But um, I think the challenge that we've constantly had with the club over the years has been that we've never probably been as community focused as we could be. And I think I can say that from a position of I live in Falkirk, so I see what happens at places like Stenhousemuir with the Warriors, or I see what happens at Falkirk with you know the community program there, and, and I understand what a community program actually looks like. And football really only ever forms one part of it. So we've really struggled, I think, to connect and do something back for the local community in the last 10, 15 years. And, you know, I think some of that comes down to the fact that um, we don't largely have many Berwick players that play in the team. We don't train in the town. We train in Edinburgh at PFML. You know, so we're, um, we're Berwick Rangers in name, but we're not probably Berwick upon Tweed, you know, in terms of our DNA. And I think there's just probably been a lack of... Um, a lack of effort and try to put the community side back into the club, which is, you know, one of the things when we came back in January that we wanted to do. So, yeah, I mean, I mentioned as well that, you know, you've, you've been all over Europe working and you've been away from Berwick for a while. How did, how did bringing you back to the club, if you like, or, or you taking up the role happen? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I've spent 20 odd years in, in human resources and HR and most importantly, uh, employee engagement, colleague engagement, so for me, actually, you know, making people feel part of something, you know, feeling connected to something is massive, massive, is massively important. And I took a call in January. Um, I was staying up in Falkirk, Pullman, as I was saying to you guys beforehand. I've been away from the town now longer than I've been in it. Um, but um, I was I took a call from Craig Forsyth, one of the directors that was due to come back when, you know, the previous board were you know, asked to move on. And. You know, Craig probably just got me at a time in January where it was dark and I was sitting in the house doing nothing. <laughs> Maybe my wife wasn't around and, you know, I kind of sort of um, accepted the challenge to come back down and at least have a conversation. And it was really weird because my parents still live here and my sister still lives here. So I drove down from Falkirk, um, agreed to meet Brian Porteous, the name that you mentioned before, whose name will come up again. And as I drove down, you know, Tweedmouth and down the road and at the stadium and that, it was really weird, like the hair and the back of my neck stood up and that and I mean I was never a massive Berwick Rangers fan I was a Berwick Rangers junior I used to go to all the games I was ball boy I played on the pitch I came back a few years ago to run the the pro youth program uh, with Neil Oliver who used to be at Falkirk but it was Berwick through and through and that and I probably didn't realise how much I loved the club until I had that meeting that night and you know I was determined to try and 
help them turn it around. And I think for me, whilst the football was important, Gareth at three o'clock on a Saturday, I think what I was trying to do was try and give the town back the club that was maybe on its backside and it was possibly going to go out of business if you know if we didn't kind of correct it. So I saw it probably more as a a business opportunity, more of a business recovery, more of a re-engaging the town type project as opposed to initially thinking about how I was going to fix the football team. So I've known you, Dave, for a few years and our paths have crossed, you know, with different clubs that you've been at and everywhere that kind of you've been, you're a very thorough and you work hard and that's always, you know, we've got mutual connections that have always said that about the kind of the work you do. What kind of initiatives have you put in down in Berwick to, to kind of re-engage the community and get them all back together? Yeah, I mean, uh, uh, there was a, there's a really cool analogy we've been using that's like, you know, that, you know when people say about building the plane while flying it yeah what we had to do at the very beginning was very very quickly get the fans back on side because obviously none of us knew covid was just around the corner so we arrived back in january um we got the fans to shieldfield park one tuesday night i think we had over 80 in the in the in the meeting rooms that we had we basically stood up at the front as a, a board and we took them through our vision and our story and you know what we could learn from clubs like Steny and morton and other clubs like that and we pointed out that if they didn't back us, get behind us, then fundamentally the doors would be closed. And, you know, we were pretty bleak with the financial picture in terms of suggesting we were forecasting £65,000 loss at the end of the season. Um, and we had to kind of get that, you know, sorted out. Otherwise, you know, we, we weren't going to end up in a particularly good place. So by getting the fans in, being honest and transparent with them, which was the first two things, Paul, you know, we just thought, you know, if we tell fans what's going on and we tell them constantly what's going on, then we'll start to see a bit of respect coming back for what we're trying to do. So we very, very quickly recognised as well that the board around us probably wasn't strong enough that, that you know, to kind of get us out of the situation. And and again, you know, I work for PricewaterhouseCoopers now, but we wanted to get people who were business people as well as football fans, because I think a lot of football clubs fail by probably having committees and boards who are like fundamentally fans of that particular club, but they've maybe not got the right skills and capabilities that you need to try and get things going. So we did one thing which was really random and we advertised like it was a job vacancy and we were actually inundated with people that wanted to kind of join us to join our board. And we ended up recruiting people onto our board who weren't actually from. So we have one guy from Lanarkshire who's got a background in facilities management, sports facilities with North Lanarkshire Council. And we've got another young guy who I used to work with at Tesco Bank but he's an HR guy and he's based in Greenock. And these were skills that we kind of felt that would actually help complement Brian Porteous, the returning chairman, and Craig Forsyth and myself. So having a strong board right at the very beginning, understanding that the fans need to be tell, told, needed to be told that we were in a precarious position financially, but then more importantly, just being transparent with them and providing regular communications were the first things that we kind of identified. And, you know, one of the quickest things we did was we launched the Just Giving page long before COVID. And, you know, you both will know that a lot of clubs have done that during COVID. But we launched the 1881 fund, which was just a case of fans donating to us, you know, that odd £5, that odd £10, just to see what we could kind of raise. And it just went kind of crazy. Um, and the, it kind of culminated in, March, uh, in February where we had a community day um, down at the club where we actually... Um, we managed to get the supporters club and the supporters trust to underwrite, underwrite the gate receipts, five or six hundred pounds each. And we let everybody in for nothing. And ironically, we took more money in buckets at the door on the way out from fans who came to watch the game. And we had a bigger attendance on the day. And it did help that we actually won 2-0 against Edinburgh University. And the BBC cameras were there from you know a view from a terrace. But that kind of gave us a bit of an initial boost that said, you know what, actually, this is fixable. 
and this could be turned around. But then obviously, you know, much not much sooner after that, I think COVID kind of struck. So you've invited those fans in. Eighty fans turn up at the ground. How close was it? I mean, in terms of you saying, you know, financial difficulty. I'm also on the same social media page as you, and I was watching it, and we we were talking about it in your mind as well. How you know the the support you got was, was fantastic. How close would you have said Berwick was to being in, you know, going out of out of business? And out of all those fans that come in, was there some scepticism behind the the new board, or were they was there guys that stood up and stepped forward and you know said, can we help? What can we do? Yeah, I think I think again another Beric DNA thing, Beric people DNA thing is the cynicism that you know nobody ever likes to see people um, do well. You know, so you know I'm I'm just a Beric guy through and through. My family is still here, but anybody that leaves the town and comes back and tries to tell the town what to do, it's always kind of viewed as this, as this, as some <laughs> don't trust type thing. But I mean, I I kind of knew from what where I'd been, you know, living in Falkirk and the clubs I'd worked with that. I could definitely kind of contribute. But um, I think what the people in the town respected straight away, Paul, was the fact that we were telling them how bleak the money was. We were telling them how much we were taking in on match day sponsorship. We were telling them, you know, if we didn't achieve this, then that would kind of happen. And I think the fact that we even put it on film on the BBC, you know, view from a terrace programme that we were literally talking about shutting the doors in the summer if it didn't kind of improve. I think that probably shocked them into something. And I guess what we had probably all at the start of last season was the Berry situation. And, We've probably all suffered the Berry situation over COVID and that we've not had our football, we've not had our clubs and stuff like that. But I just think the people in the town respected that fact that we were just really, really honest with them and really upfront with what you know what we were doing. And that's kind of stood us in good stead because you know, every board meeting we've had, Paul, since then, which we do via Zoom, which is such an efficient way of doing things now, we'll have a board meeting monthly on a Thursday and by Friday, 11 o'clock, there's a board statement out and it tells the fans every single thing. So, you know, last week we agreed to invest money and a new website, um, you know, which we wouldn't have been able to do in January financially. But you know, we're telling the fans all this kind of stuff. We're telling the fans what we're doing, and it's you know, it's stood us, it's stood us in good stead all the way through. I mean, you you mentioned the Just Giving page there. That that's raised over eleven thousand pounds, I think, so far. Which which yeah, we, um, we've, we've closed them down now, Gareth. I mean, in total, right. yeah, and in, in total, we raised twenty six thousand pounds. We raised over eleven. Yeah, over eleven, and the Just Giving, and then. Um, the donated ticket situation started with Rudy Kilgower at Wraith Rovers and um, you know the, my other board members and we have a comms team who meet every Saturday morning all volunteers and I remember talking to them about donated ticket and they'll tell you themselves they said that's not going to work here we go again they've talking a load of rubbish again blah 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 and we ended up raising over £15,000 in donated ticket you know it was a really really you know amazing thing for us so yeah tw- that £26,000 went a long way to you know, giving us a bit of stability um, and, 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 you know, and kind of made us see that the fans were actually behind us and what we were trying to do, which was absolutely fantastic. I guess when you see that response and that the size of that response and you look at the area where the club's based, I mean, there's a catchment area down there to tap into, isn't there? And it, it shows yeah. there's, I mean, I, I remember, I think it was 2012, I went down for the game when Rangers were yeah. playing down there, the, the one each draw. And uh, over the years, I've been down several times, but that day in particular, I think I think I went down on the train and walked from the station up to the ground, yeah. and just saying, you know, the, the pubs were full, and I know it was a there was an element to whenever Rangers came to town back in those days, there was a little, particularly the first time, there was a bit of a sort of a, a fate aspect to it, you know, everybody was coming out for a celebration and a, a carnival um, to make the most of it, but um, it just showed 
what could be achieved if 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 everybody's aligned in the in the right way. I mean, it, 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 that, I, that's a funny game that one because the referee that day was Mike Tomalty, who I remember serving when I used to work in the RBS branch and Hill Walk because Mike was a student. Um, so I got really well Mike Tomalty and Mike Tomalty would tell you probably now that he kind of probably made a mistake with the last kick of the ball because we won that game 2-1 and he just allowed a goal for a foul on Neil Alexander that was never a foul but anyway um, yeah I mean we, we, we've got 60 miles north and 60 miles south and maybe 35-40 miles inland into the borders we have a, a phenomenal catchment area that if we can tap into it right then you know we could have pretty decent crowds um, you know, we've done a couple of really cute things. I mean, Berwick people will moan about being, yeah, but we're English and we play in Scotland. Well, you never really do anything about that and you never capitalise on it. So I'll give you a couple of quick examples. Um, our new away kit um, we launched this year uh, is red and yellow stripes with blue shorts and blue socks. And it's the colours in the Northumbrian flag. So our away, kit, our away kit reflects the fact that we're English and we're proud to be Northumbrians. So much in the way that the Valencia third kit and the Barcelona third kit are, you know, the regional kits. We have a regional kit as our away kit. And then the second thing, uh, then the second thing we've been doing is that we've set up the community foundation now. But whilst we play football in Scotland on a Saturday and we're under the due restriction of the SFA, our new community foundation, which is run by Warren Hawke, that's run in England. So it's it's going to be a charity set up on the other side. So we now can benefit from funding through Scotland, which it's far less, as we all know, the three of us. But in England, you're looking for football foundation funding. It's far easier. So, you know, about a month ago, I applied for a full set size of goals on the Tuesday night. I think we got the grant approved on the Thursday. Today, we just found out we got £3,700 towards a brand new tractor from the football foundation. So we're, we're now actually benefiting them using the fact that we're an English club playing in Scotland and we never have done before. And actually, the good bit of advice we had to do that was from Stuart McCaffrey at the Scottish Football Partnership. Stuart, and, you know, I worked with Stuart when... Stuart was a player at St. Johnson under Derek and that, and Calf and I have got on really well. He's been an absolutely fantastic mentor for me personally in terms of you know guiding me through it and that. But these are just little things that have probably been under our nose previously, and we've just never capitalised on them now. And we've got people who are maybe a wee bit brighter in terms of capitalising on it. So coming back onto the club, obviously moving down into the the, the lower divisions, has that do you think helped with the COVID situation coming up? Do you think? if you guys were still a league team that financially it would have been much more difficult to have survived if the club was kind of struggling at the best of times? Do you think being down the lower division, lower overheads has certainly helped the club? I think I think if we hadn't had that January and February, Paul, we could have been in big trouble when COVID hit. So I think we really worked hard the eight weeks, no matter what division we were in to win the hearts and minds and I think that stood us in good stead and the analogy about building a plane while flying it what we've been able to do in COVID is literally put it in the hangar and strip it so we, we've we actually been able to strip Berwick Rangers right back to the basics look at all the costs and the overheads that we've been running out look at the fact that we were like any other club in the SPFL reliant on the payments at the start of the season from you know from the SFA and like most clubs in, in the top in the top 42 we probably would spend it all in August and September and by the time we got to October, our cash flow was limited. So I think I think it's a shame that we're out of the league. Um, I think we would have loved to have got the club now and, and turn it around the way we have done in the league. But I think coming to the Lone League is prob- has probably helped. Though at the same time, we probably are still behaving like an SPFL club in the Lowlands. So, so our standards are very, very high in terms of what we're trying to achieve. I mean, even when the view from the terrace guys were down uh, in January, 
you know, some of the things they saw on the day, the facilities, what we were able to put on and do. You know, we had 80-odd people upstairs in hospitality and things like that. They reckon we were as big as some of the championship clubs, never mind SPFL 2 and SPFL 1 and that. So we've definitely reduced our overheads. The only permanent overhead we have now is we still maintain a full-time groundsman. But because our facilities are starting to be used more by people in the town, like the girls' programme that we've launched and, you know, the seniors and the juniors that we've got reaffiliated into the club, we've we've been able to kind of control that much more. So I would agree with you. I think the fact we've came down has given us a chance to probably review a little bit more than maybe the pressure that some of the SPFL clubs, um, you know, some of the SPFL clubs are under at the moment. So I guess when, when you have something like what you're trying to do, and you're, you're kind of going big on the, the media, the social media side of it as well. Um, I guess you need buy-in from everybody, including including the manager, including the players. And and how is that? How, how have they been? Have they been receptive to it? Have, have you had to sort of sit them down and explain, you know, the reason and the long term, um, the long term benefits of doing that? If you know, if you know what I mean. Yeah, I mean. Um... We, I alluded to it a little bit earlier. So there's, there's, we've got a guy called Martin Ingalls, uh, Dale, uh, Dale Jones, Adam Hunter, uh, and then another director, Nathan Thompson, who came on board in March. And Nathan's uh, head of digital at Aegon. Um, so we've got guys who are digital marketing specialists in their day jobs. Um, and we meet every Saturday morning and we talk about the agenda for the week ahead. And, you know, we come up with initiatives like the 1881 membership or the new website and stuff like that. So, so the good news is we've got a team who are thoroughly professional and all the way through COVID, and you'll have seen it from the messages we put out, we've been constant. We've not flagged off. Um, ironically, some clubs have probably put their comms teams off on furlough, which is quite ironic because it's probably the one one resource that shouldn't be furloughed. But I think what's been really useful is the fact that we've became more professional on social media and we look far more professional in this, in, than a lonely club. The players have seen it. So the players follow us on Instagram. The players are on, website, uh, on our website and our social media. So now when we ask a Kevin Worf or a, a Ewan Smith or, you know, Kevin Haynes, who actually, our assistant manager who hosts, co-hosts the podcast, to get involved, they love it. Um, they're, in, they're in amongst it. Um, we've launched a, a membership scheme called the 1881 Club, where it's £18.81 a month, and that gets you entry into our loan league games and other perks and benefits. But what it also gets you is it also gets you breaking news, maybe 24 hours before we put it out on our social media channels. And that includes, for example, getting updates and messages from the manager. So we've even got Ian, Lutt- Ian Little Yano doing stuff as well now, which it's not his natural cup of tea. It's not something that he totally loves. You know, he's an absolutely outstanding coach, but he's quite shy. He's quite introverted. But, you know, he's ended up doing more stuff because we've asked him. And he sees the benefit because it's starting to make us more of an attractive proposition in terms of players wanting to come. And you know what the younger players are like these days? They love the social media, the pen picks and the pals and all that kind of stuff and that. So social media has probably been the largest contributing factor towards us turning things around. And it's quite interesting. Um, I remember Nathan being asked a, a question on the, the marketing podcast that the guys do um, up, up at the SFA. And he was asked which clubs that you know we looked at to improve. And he actually said it. We've not looked at any football clubs. We've looked at, you know, Stalin, the Digital Bank, and some of the other organisations out there in terms of what they're doing to model what we're trying to do in that. So, um, but yeah, I mean, the players are the players are the players feel connected to the club probably more than ever before, Gareth, um, and they're far more um, available if you want them to do things. I mean, you know, birthday messages to kids and stuff like that. You know, they'll record them on their phones and they'll WhatsApp them through and that. So it's been brilliant. How do you then measure success? Or how successful you've been I guess there's various different means of measuring it um, I guess the, 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 the most public one is 
how the team does in the pitch and where the club finishes in the league. I mean, how, how do you then equate the two together, if you like? Because I guess you obviously, I mean, it's a tough league, isn't it, this year as well, with, with the money that's being spent in that league? It is. I mean, it, it's interesting because we, we've probably had it easy uh, because everything we've done has been making us a better proposition, but we've not kind of rolled it onto the park yet. Although, in fairness, when we took over in January, there was a couple of stuffings in there, the Shire and... Um, there was one other, I can't remember, actually. Uh, East Kilbride, actually, at home. But other than that, the six or seven games that we did take part in, I think we won most of them. We were on a roll. The squad was starting to kind of bond. We were starting to play decent football. Um, this time last year, when we started uh, the club, we went there. I think Ian had 11, 12 players for the Betfred Cup. Couldn't name any trialists on the bench. I think he was on the bench and he was 47 year old or something like that. This year, he's got a squad of 18 signed. Um, I convinced the board to invest in the player data GPS stuff that we're doing just now. The players are loving that. Um, you know, so, yeah, and we've got an analytics guy in now as well looking at all that. So, yeah, I mean, bottom line is we'll be judged on what happens on the pitch. Are we are we a top one, top two, top three side? Probably not with what we're spending compared to what some of the clubs are. I mean, what I've learned this year is what a budget looks like. Um, I know what we spend on an, an annual a season basis now. I think we've got good value for money so far. We've picked up some really talented players. I'd hate to see where some of these clubs are getting money from, to be honest. Um, it's frightening. I mean, they're putting to shame some of the clubs in the Championship, never mind the SP, you know, the, the Premier League at the moment. So we, we probably belong in the Lone League, and we know we do for a little period of time. We're probably reconstructing ourselves in terms of you know what we're going to be like. And you know, we may well have a go at trying to get back up at some stage, but it's not going to be for the next season or two anyway. So... On the football side of things, Dave, do you have been in the catchment area you're in? Do you have guys coming up from Newcastle playing and things like that? You know, is that open the door for you a little bit? It's a bit different from other teams. Yeah, we could. We definitely. It's definitely something we're looking at. So Chris Hogg, that was at Hibs, um, he's the under 23s manager now at Newcastle United, uh, and then Peter Ramage is. He was an expert at Rangers Junior, ex Newcastle Crystal Palace. He's just he's came back from the states to be assistant. Um, Chris Hogg knows Liam Craig really well so Liam obviously is a good friend of mine and he's been a good help of the club so far likewise down at Middlesbrough we've got Jordan Tate who's an academy coach so it's definitely conversations that we're starting to try and have with these guys about you know, do you happen to have an 18 year old striker um, it's the same up the way as well Paul, um, you know, Yano's good friends were Robbie Nielsen, Gordon Forrest at Hearts was a better Rangers legend you know, we've got a really good Wraith Rovers connection with John McGlynn and Paul Smith and I've been speaking to Craig Mulholland at Rangers so we're trying to network just like you and I doing our day jobs all three of us doing our day jobs just to try and kind of like see if we can kind of tap into something slightly different um, but actually one thing that we're doing at the moment is um, there's five players plus me and Graham another director plus the assistant manager we're going through a diploma in sport with uh, Longfoot College in Ireland uh, Christoph Berra, John Daly, Joel Murray there's a number of people on it as well at the moment and what we've managed to successfully do is secure two MBAs now an MBA is £20,000 10 grand a year, over 40 weeks it's 250 quid. if we were to offer them a base salary to play plus that we are looking to try and sign a player who's maybe 34, 35 36, who's at the end of their career they're going to have to go into employment like you know the three of us and we can help them with their education and give them a step up so we're having to think differently now about how we actually attract players and stuff like that. So, And what that might culminate in also is that we'll be launching probably a Berwick Rangers Community College. So all the courses will be done online with Skype, Zoom, etc., etc. And we'll you know, allow people in the town to join courses, etc., etc., as well as players. So we're trying to kind of come up with different ways to attract players in the catchment area. Um, and the North East is a big thing for us. I mean, 
Warren Hawks came back as the chairman of the, the foundation. Warren was our first ever full-time football player at Better Rangers when he left Sunderland a few years ago. Um, obviously, he did well, scored a hat-trick against Morton and ended up playing up there. So, um, yeah, we're starting to we're starting to look at different things and we're starting to... It's almost like we've always looked at our catchment area and our, our location as a negative. Now we're trying to turn it into a positive and, you know, look at the different kind of things that we can do. I mean... In terms of the, the measurement stuff as well that Gareth was on about, I mean, yes, on the success is definitely one measurement, but financially we closed the season with a £19,000 loss that we could have had as a zero loss, but we turned it from 65 to 19, which was phenomenal. We start this season off with a significant amount of money in the bank. We're probably you know far better off than we've ever been for a while. So you know our ambition this year is to turn a, a profit, a small profit, even if it's a pound, but it's not a loss. Um, you know, and and at the same time, you know we're starting to see our social media continue to grow. So, I mean, sponsorship as well has been fantastic. I mean, we've just taken up a sponsorship with an international um, drinks, um, sports drinks retailer, similar to Red Bull, you know, who was just some really random connection for somebody in Birmingham. And now they're coming up to kind of see us. And these guys are multimillionaires. So there's maybe somebody out there that might actually just have a go at us at some stage. But it's almost like what we're doing is we're building a prospectus Maybe for, maybe for a takeover or a sale or something like that at some stage, but at the moment we're not in that position to do that. So I was actually going to come in uh, and mention sponsorship as people in the town. I know you obviously that's a global brand, but as people in the town actually bought and you know seen what you guys are doing, seen you know there's been a facelift ultimately at the club of they of they sort of bought in and you know maybe took some advertising boards yeah. or again is COVID maybe kind of stopped that a little bit. It's really funny. Um, it was a massive word of caution from a chairman who is very cautious, very tight with the money, and he's outstanding. And he's outstanding at it. But we haven't yet seen a negative effect on sponsorship in the town. So Berwick as a town and community seems to have largely survived what's gone on so far. I appreciate furlough will end soon, and then maybe there's another kind of sort of spiker job redundancies coming in that across the UK. So I think we sold out all our players and coaching staff in terms of player sponsorships within a week. Um, we've started selling boards. We have people already committed to hospitality for match day. I mean, we can take up to 80 people. Now, obviously, if it's different and it's socially distanced, it'll not be that. But, you know, we can sell up to 80 people at our games. I mean, every game we took when we came back in January was, was sold out above and beyond what, what what we could actually do. So at the moment, we haven't seen, um, you know, a drop in sponsorship. Um, we're well ahead of our sponsorship targets at the moment. I mean, we did a shirt raffle this year because we re- we appreciated somebody couldn't give us ten grand to be on the front of a shirt, so we did a two fifty a ticket raffle, and we smashed that target as well. So, um, but yeah, everything's gone well at the moment. Um, you know, managing our costs really tightly. Um, you know, but again, it, we've not kind of sort of scrimped and saved that much. In that, before furlough came along, we'd already agreed to play our player contracts up until the end of. May, June anyway, so okay, Furlough's now benefited us, but um, we want to do the right thing by the players, we want to do the right thing in the town as well, and I think we're starting to get the recognition for it, Paul. I may have picked up on this wrong uh, when I was uh, looking into things before the podcast, but is one of the directors basically a fan because you know, he's, he's from Hull, and it's something to do with the playing in the same colours or something like that, am I, am I right with that? Uh, not not a director, but there are people that, that uh, we have contributors and sponsors who are like as simple as that. Yeah, there was a, I think there's a sponsor. It's the colours, and he comes up. And we have it's, here's a really funny one for you, Gareth. Right, we did a fire sale on the shop, the old Hummel kit, uh, in about March, and I think we might have sold about 300 items, and I think over 250 of them went international or in the UK, not in Berwick. 
So we have a lot of supporters like that who might see the colours, might relate to it, uh, and might follow us just really for really odd reasons in that. Um, we had a really interesting conversation yesterday with a couple of ladies from Redcar who you know, been speaking to one of our fans, Stuart, um, Stuart Bell, and we've started now looking at the possibility of creating a, a documentary about the 67 win against Rangers. And with the outcome of that being fundamentally from a tourist point of view, we want to bring people back to the town. We want to make the town, you know, higher profile. And genuinely, they started talking about a book and a film, which does sound all very fanciful. But when you look at these two women that we had yesterday on the phone, they've both got spectacular backgrounds in TV production. And the fact that they believe there's something there made us think, you know what? We'll, we'll give it a go. So it could be a, a shot for, uh, if you remember it, a shot of glory. Shot of glory. The sequel or something like that. <laughs> isn't it? But, um, yeah, I mean, people are coming. But the thing is, that fan, Stuart Bell from Redcar, he wouldn't have came to the club in December and said something, you know that? And he can see his club's been turned around and the fans are now contacting us with ideas and initiatives and that. So it's brilliant. It's, it's funny you mentioned the 67 when I, that was what I was going to finish the section of, of the show on and Sammy Reid and everything around it. But I know Paul always talks about the, there's a history at New Mains and at Coltness United previous to, to New Mains and, and using that as a to, to show and, you know, to showcase the club, really. And, and yeah. it's great to have that history. And, 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 and is is the history something that you want to also explore even more i know you're talking about the 67 when they're in particular but there, there are stories and people love stories don't they yeah they do i mean the pot we we launched a, a podcast called let it be rfc um we've just had a wee two-week sort of vacation on it and we've just been reevaluating. do we run it weekly and you guys don't know how hard this is because you do this but do we run it weekly or do we make it a little bit more infrequent maybe bi-weekly or monthly even in that and what the fans love is when the old players come on and they talk and they tell their stories and stuff like that. And, you know, even some of the older stories for younger people, like, although younger at 50 next Tuesday doesn't make me young, but <laughs> you know, even me listening to, you know, some of the stories from way back when I was probably 8, 9, 10, 11, and I probably didn't appreciate them. You'll, you you just love them. Um, you know, so the history's there to be kind of told in that. And, you know, nothing will ever take away what we did that day against Rangers, I mean, okay, fair enough. They might have had the chances to win the game. They didn't score. You know, two guys fundamentally ended the Rangers' careers as a result of that. The two strikers, they never played again. Um, however, at the same time, that meant they signed Alex Ferguson in the summer and, you know, well, kind of know what happened to Sir Alex after that. So, but yeah, the stories that I'll be told. Um, but what we did say to the girls yesterday is 67 is really important to us. But we also want to tell the story that we're Northumbrians, that we play in Scotland and we've got a beautiful town that's got an amazing catchment area and people should come see it. My name's Chris Jane, and I'm the Cohen and Rangers manager. You're listening to Down the Divide. Former Johnston Borough player Malcolm Manley has sadly passed away, aged 70. Manley joined Leicester in 1966, and his seven-year spell there included being a second-half substitute for the 1969 FA Cup final loss to Manchester City. Airdrie have signed former Leeds United forward Owen Stokes, subject to international clearance, and Irvin Meadow have brought in Jamie Martin, who has spent the last decade at air after coming through the youth ranks there. And there could be some big news at Albion Rovers. Scottish comic book writer Mark Miller, who's worth an estimated £25 million, has hinted he could be about to get involved with the club. Miller has worked on the likes of X-Men and Spider-Man, but more to the point, he's a Rovers fan. This is Des Roach, ex-referee, Cabernet Leadside assistant manager, and you're listening to Down the Divisions.
Eric Rangers director David Buglas is our guest this week. So uh, let's look what you've done away from Berek before getting involved at Shieldfield, uh, David, because um, it's, it's fair to say looking at your CV, you've been uh, fairly busy over the years. Playing-wise, first of all, uh, background, um, I, mean, I, I mentioned you were average in, in, in the start. <laughs> was it, was it yeah. uh, Spittle Rovers? Yeah, I mean, like, like oh, yeah, average. Um, I, I, would be, I would be brave enough to say when I played at Spittle, um, you know, as a Spittle Rovers junior and played with boys that were older than me, three, four years older than me, I, I probably would be one of the first names on the team sheet, not because of my ability, maybe just because of my attitude, which is something that stood me instead with every role that I guess I've done in football since. But, you know, I'd turn up at training twice a week, I'd work hard, I'd give up my all, the things that I had deficiencies in my game with, then, you know, I'd work on them. So I think I was respected by people around me in terms of the coaches who coached me, and, and they were probably the people who have became, you know, my heroes in terms of, you know, where I've got to in the game. You know, I'll never, you know, I'd never forgive myself if I didn't thank people like Colin Mole and Robert Johnson, Billy Young, Ian Young and these guys for what they taught me when I was a young player trying to kind of progress and stuff like that. So, but the standards we had at Spittle Rovers in the early days were probably the standards that have stood me in good stead all the way through my life, let alone my football career. We met Dave probably, oh, I don't know, it would have been, I don't know, maybe 2007. Uh, you were at St. Johnson. We used to meet at games and we were out watching players. Yeah. How did that come about? How did you get involved in St. Johnson? Yeah, it was a good one actually. I was, um, I was. So what, what's right? I was laughing when you were talking about the learning course before that you were doing, and it didn't take your name and stuff like that. So mm-hmm. my my day job is, I'm responsible for online training and education and PwC. So I went through that course last night as well, and I was panicking because it wasn't going to take my name, but I did find it somewhere at the end. But um, I I wrote to I got all the way up to C license, and I wrote to Jim Fleet and. And I, be fair to say, criticised um, the coach education programme at the SFA for volunteers like you and I, because you know that you and I, if we ever take a day's holiday, our wives want us to go away somewhere and not go to Largs at the weekend and, and waste it on that. So Jim kind of called me in and we had a chat and I talked about online training and the future of learning and all that kind of stuff. And it's really quite funny going through COVID, watching the number of online courses that are now launched using Zoom and that. But anyway, I, I had that chat with Jim and, Kenneth sort of took his glasses off and said, you know what, I, I, deserve, I, I probably should kick your ass for coming in here telling me all this, but I'm going to ask you if you can help me out on the first day of our pro licence programme um, that we're doing at the SFA. And could you help me kind of run an online portal and could you help me kind of sort of structure how we can take the guys through it? So I remember going down to Largs one Saturday because the course started on the Sunday and I was staying at the uh, a, a hotel down in Largs on the front and he said, look, you want to come for dinner with me? We've got a couple of guests. We'll go and have a bit of a chat with them. So anyway, I went downstairs into the restaurant and first guest was Lars Lagerbach, a Sweden manager, who I'd only ever see on the television. And the next guest was uh, AVB, Andre Viasport, who was doing the pro license. And I'm sitting there like a weekend in the sweetie shop thinking, this is just nuts. But but what was really interesting about Lagerbach was he was really interested in what I did for a living, working in human resources, because he told a story that, um, they had a collective objective at, at, with the Swedish FA. It didn't matter whether you washed the kits, booked the flights, or you were Henrik Larsson or Zlatan. Their objective was to qualify for tournaments. It wasn't to win them, but it was to qualify for tournaments. And they recognised that the guys that did the kit were equally as important as the guys that put the ball in the net. And that, for me, was talking about HR, creating a culture, creating a DNA and all that kind of stuff. So I helped Jim kind of with the first pro-licence programme, um, McCoy, Stirant, Yogi, Uncoy, all these amazing people that... It was just really great, you know, playing five-a-sides with them at Largs and stuff like that. But 
What I also found out in that course was that not many of them were very clever when it came to using a computer at that stage. Um, and for me, I take a great deal of pride in the work I present physically. So Jim ended up asking me if I would help some of them learn how to use the computer, but also build their assembly, their packs for the end of the programs. So anyway, I did that for a few programs. And I remember um, Jim phoning me one Friday night saying, could you do me a favour, actually, really random? Could you go watch this game on Saturday? It's Dunfermline versus Park Thistle. And could you write me a report on Dunfermline? And, you know, I'm not giving you any guidance. Just write it the way you would want. So I went away and um, I did notes. I took my camera, recorded all the set plays and stuff like that. And then I looked at kind of championship manager and I looked for ideas about how you'd write a match report and that. Anyway, I did the match report. I think it was like 30 slides in PowerPoint. Then to Jim. And then on the Monday morning, Derek McInnes phoned me. And basically, Jim was asking me to go watch a game for Derek at St. Johnston to watch Dunfermline. And Derek asked me to come up to Perth. And we spent a bit of time talking about what him and Tony Dock wanted. Um, and that's how I got working with, with Derek at St. Johnston. So, and I did it. The, the first year we did it, we won the championship. We came up. Um, I was in Morton the day we won the league, so I had a bomb all the way up to Perth. Um, my, my lad was up there. Ben was up there with his granddad for the game. But they made me feel really, really, you know, really, really welcome. Um, and then I was with them two seasons after. And then when Derek left, um, I watched SPS, SPL games when I probably saw you, Paul. And that was him looking at catalogues for Bristol City when he was down yeah. there. So that's how I kind of got into that side. But it was probably one of the most amazing experiences of my life. That's how I met Stuart McCaffrey at this, you know, Scottish Football Partnership. You know, the ability to speak to people like Michael Dubry and Jody Morris, who used to read my reports religiously, because that was just the way they'd been brought up in their careers. But yeah, it was fantastic. And but again, it was another skill on the ball. You know, like match analysis. You know, understanding how a club's run. You know, how do you work with a manager and a coach? Like. You know, Doc was Doc was the one that I probably spoke to the most. Um, you know, Derek was always very good with me. I also ended up doing Derek's pro license portfolio as well because he couldn't do it. But and that's the way I met Scott Booth as well. So I did Scott's portfolio for him, and um, Scott basically offered me money at the end of it for helping him. To which I said, I, I don't, I wouldn't take money off anybody. I'm the kind of guy that likes to help. And you know, if any stage of my career I need a bit of a helper in the up, could you help me? And Scott took me to Italy with the Scotland under. 16s and we played Germany, um, Russia, and Italy. Ross McCrory was there. Um, Kevin Waugh, he's at Berwick actually. Um, a few other guys, uh, not Charlie, yeah, Charlie Gilmore, who's now at Norwich, I think. But so I got to go to an international tournament. I got to see how a tournament sets itself out, I, you know, and, and how a team set up in that. So, and then, you know, a couple of years ago there, Scott kind of kept going on at me, constantly going on at me about Glasgow City. He said, look, do you don't want to come to Glasgow City? And thereafter, I ended up at Glasgow City. So. One of the things I always remember, Dave, and I'm, I'm going back, I think it must have been, was it around about 2011, 2010, yeah. 2011, that kind of period, we'd be watching games, and you did, you took your, you took your camera, yeah. and you were, you were taking all the set plays, and we'd all be sitting there with a notepad, and, and things like that, and you'd have all the kind of older guys that were scouting, I mean, I remember one guy, I'll know name names, he, I think Harry Redknapp took him everywhere, like Portsmouth and that, yeah. and every time he went to a game, he would be sitting there, and he would say, Ah, he's rubbish, he's rubbish. And the guy, I used to look at my God, you know, you've never seen a player, but you were well ahead of your time, actually. Uh, sitting there, you had your camera, you had the set plays. Because by filming them, and I started doing it then, camera phones on the camera phone, yeah. I started doing it when, well, Hartlepool, I'd be going away down south and yeah. filming them because it's the only accurate way you're going to get them for your reports. But it, it, unbelievable at the time, guys just still using pad and paper. 
I, I, uh, I, the only one place I got asked, although I did manage to get it done there once, I only once got told to put my camera away, it was Parkhead, uh, because it wasn't in a scouting area, it was, you were actually in the main stand, so I think it was more the fans, just in case you were, you know, causing a bit of grief, but, um, but yeah, I mean, those, those video clips, you'd embed it in PowerPoint, the first, the first still would be a picture, and I'd have all, and, and I just made it better every Saturday, you know, I'd have all the players named, and, I'd kind of like outline the the runs and who did what and who blocked who and stuff like that. And Derek used to, I used to pride myself on giving it to Derek on a Saturday night. So my wife just wrote me off on a Saturday night. I'd just sit on my laptop, but Derek would have it in his inbox. So he'd read it on a Sunday and he'd drive in on a Monday and he'd speak to me on Monday morning and that. And then I'd probably go up to training maybe one or two times a week just because I was lucky enough to work at home um, when I was at RBS and Tesco. So, but it was such a buzz. Um, and, you know, it's not what I would have wanted to have done full time in my career at a football club, but like I said, it just gave me another another element of appreciation about how you run a club and what you know the different roles in a club actually were. So, yeah, I was just gonna I was just gonna say you, you, when you were talking about Scott Booth and, and, and going to the, the Glasgow City with the the ladies team, who an absolute phenomenal team and continually punch above their weight. How's that been? You know, Champions League football. You've been doing much travelling with with the girls team and, and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, I, I started in January. 2019 um first job was to met laura uh, montgomery um lauren cass obviously the founders phenomenal women um met her in leith down leith walk for a coffee um she was obviously at hibs as well day job um talked about what needed to be done allowed me to come in with a kind of sort of you know white sheet of paper and kind of have a look around first thing i noticed could be better would be the academy in terms of the look and the feel and the product you know, all having the same training kit, the same strips, et cetera, et cetera. And then, you know, recruit pro coaches, recruit more players. But, you know, the plan was always for me to move into working with Scott a bit more in that. So um, travelled to Moscow, to Chernovo. Uh, we won 1-0 over there. Um, and then we drew the game at home. We went through 2-1 on aggregate. I know, in fact, we won at home 3-1. Yeah, and then Bromby away to Copenhagen, um, sitting in the stand in Copenhagen and that, uh, sitting in the dugout in Copenhagen was phenomenal. So, and what I would typically do is Scott would, Scott prides himself on doing everything and doing everything right, but I would maybe do stuff like slides, set plays. I probably would have watched Bromby maybe half a dozen times and done one of those match reports that I did at St. Johnston. Um, so again, Scott had never seen that format before, so it was still quite fresh. So I would do that on Chattanooga. I would watch games on um uh, Bromby, although when you're telling people at work that you're watching Swedish women streaming online, <laughs> you know, be careful, <laughs> you forget to forget that you had the football button, but um, yeah. I was more concerned you were meeting women down loose, to be honest, but... <laughs> well, when I said the leaf walk, I did have to caveat the fact, obviously, but, um, but yeah, so unfortunately, um, unfortunately, I didn't travel last week because my wife has MS, um, she keeps okay, but for us as a family, it was probably too high risk in terms of, you know, going out the country and coming back in. Although the girls, in fairness to them, did an amazing job testing, um, you know, rigorously. So they had an exemption when they came back from the government anyway. So, but yeah, I mean, look, you know, n- n- nobody wanted it to be 9-1 on Friday night. Um, you know, I think it was 2-0 at half time, and then we lost two silly goals and then it was 4-0 at half time. You know, that just showed the fine margins. But for us, it probably wasn't anticip- It wasn't not anticipated it could go that way, but at the same time, we were all uniquely proud of how far we'd gotten. I mean, you're talking about a budget that's, you know, 10 times, 15 times bigger at, you know, Lyon and PSG and Bayern and Wolfsburg and stuff like that. So it's just frightening. I mean, 
we all we you know we we all muck in we we all we've got a decent sort of set of volunteers at city as well on that so you know, we're trying, and it's getting harder. I mean, the competition from the old firm clearly starting to step up. Rangers more so, I think, probably than you know Celtic in terms of the money that's been spent. But I think Laura and Cass are really quite grounded. They could have sold the club or maybe got a men's team involved years ago. But it's not, it's not who we are, and we'll stay independent as we are at the minute. So, so Glasgow City play Berwick. Dave, who do you want to win? Um. Well, there's a chance that could happen now because we started to launch the a girls and women's program. That was one of the first things I wanted to do when I went back in January. So, oh, it's got to be a draw, really, isn't it? <laughs> it's that right in the fence. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'd love to see. In fairness, though, I've had City 19s down playing at Shieldfield before COVID. Um, I'd love to see City's first team down playing maybe a, a Newcastle or Sunderland or somebody from the north. Um, because again, it just raises the profile of the women's game uh, in in the town and the surrounding area. So. And again, at Berwick, we've had Joelle Murray. Joelle's a, an ex-Chernside girl. Um, Joelle's played in the same team as Liam Craig when they were both toddlers uh, at Chernside and Coldstream. Um, both Hibs captains at the same time as well, you know, the respective teams and that. So Joelle's been brilliant as well. But, yeah, I mean, I've made some amazing friends at City. I was at the World Cup last year. You know, Leanne Ross, our class, is a really good friend now. Um, the standards that these girls have are phenomenal. So I'm interested, David, in the uh, the championship manager aspect, you said said about earlier what what did you see on championship manager what the the the, the that sort of uh was the light bulb aspect of, the, of those reports yeah just i mean like right from the beginning um like just the way you would like even my very first slide which was the two team lines on the same sheet i would analyze you know maybe set play shots on target shots off target percentages and stuff like that which i get and again i'm tough paul said that because i think i was probably demonstrating data and stuff like that before Sky Sports News and stuff like that would be doing stuff like that. So the visual side of gaming, um, you know, which scouts, typical normal scouts wouldn't have, to which Paul's point was notepad and pencil. Um, you know, it was that kind of stuff. And then even, you know, when you went into, I would maybe call out three players in the team um, that we will watch out. It's funny because one of them that was always, when I played, we played Ross County, one of them that used to always appeal to me was Stevie Craig, Steph Craig, the striker just because of his, not because of his prolific finishing, because I do wind him up about that now, but his work rate, his tenacity, his ability to get him behind. And again, when you looked at players within Championship Manager, it, it was like a top trump card. It kind of showed you how they were and what their attributes were and what their weaknesses were. So all the all the visual stuff that I think is quite important when you pick up a report, it was that kind of stuff, Gareth, that I kind of bought into my reports and that. So, but um, yeah, I'm good friends with Steph Craig now. Steph, uh, he, he takes quite a few of my trainings. I've been trying to get him signed up at Better Rangers actually, because... He's probably the fittest 39 year old I've ever come across. Um, attempt him out of retirement. So, And you're talking about championship manager, obviously. Uh, famous yep. managers such as uh, Davey Moyes and I think Alec McLeish have went on record. Or I think Alec McLeish's son done it for him, went on record. Yep. They actually used that as a as a scouting tool. Oh. Uh, but I suppose, it's, it's, I mean, these guys have spent millions. It is the ultimate database, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> It's simulated, but uh, certainly the layouts and the formats and, and yeah. the way they do stuff. I mean, they spent millions of pounds in researching it. We, we um, when when we were on that first ever pro license program, you know, we got together every couple of months. Um, they used to play fives at large, so Durante wouldn't play because of his knee. AVB wouldn't play because he was he was he couldn't play football. Full stop. You know, no matter how successful he's been, but he would he would always be playing Championship Manager on his laptop all the time. And at that time, he was Mourinho scout at Chelsea, so he hadn't moved into. Uh, the management side of the game, but you know, even when I coach now, um, I'm coaching some young boys in Falkirk under 16s at the minute. But you always constantly say to them, "Hands up, who plays FIFA?" And they all put their hands up. 
right, how do you beat the computer if you're playing FIFA? And it takes them a wee while to work it out. You move the ball early, you kind of pass it around quickly, right? Funny that because the people that program the games are football people. The programmers are pressing the buttons, but it's programmed by people with football theory. So for me, using games and Championship Manager and FIFA to educate younger players and people, that again, that comes from my day job of a you know twenty years plus in corporate learning. So, but um, yeah, we can learn quite a bit. So. You mentioned some of the characters on your coaching course as well, you know, the McCoys, the Durants, and these guys must have been innumerable numbers of stories coming from uh, from that. Was it a week you were down there? You, you know, the stories, like, the stories were just phenomenal. Uh, just It would normally be um, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, so I'd probably stay Sunday, Monday and head back Monday night, and then they would do something on a Tuesday, but it wasn't just the stories of the guys in the course, it was the stories of the guys that came in. I remember Archie Knox came in one day and he was doing a, a, a speaker session and I think they were talking about, you know, when you, the guys are trained hard all week, you know, how do you, when you get down to picking that team on a, on a Saturday, you know, how do you go about kind of separating who's in and who's out? He said, well, we, you know, me and Walter, we, we used to do it really quite simple at Rangers. He said, um, you know, guys would come in, we'd have a pre-match at a restaurant somewhere and whatever it was. And it would be like, you can sit over there, you can have chips, you can sit over there, you can sit over there, you can have chips. The bottom line is, if you were getting chips, you weren't. <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm just those kind of stories that you just think to yourself, these guys were absolute jokers. So I can't get the image out of my head of AB, AVB sitting playing chart manager, manager. And, and Ian Durant no making a comment. <laughs> well, the thing is, as well, um, and at that time, Paul, it would have been Blackberry, not iPhone. So he was probably one of the only guys in the room that had a BlackBerry as well. Is so he, right? he was probably quite cool with his uh, with his BlackBerry and that. So, but he was never off it. Constant, never off it. Data, data, data. Full stop. So, hey, you, you mentioned as well your friendship with Liam Craig. Yeah. Would uh, would would the dream be to persuade him to come back to Shieldfield to finish his career? It could be a Liam Craig dual role as player manager, community lead with maybe. Leanne Ross and Joelle Murray as our first female assistant coaches, co-coaches or something like that. Um, it's funny, somebody asked me this question the other week uh, about would you ever consider one of the girls that you've met through football coming back to Berwick as a coach or something? It's like, absolutely. It doesn't matter whether they're a guy or a girl. If they're right for the job, then they're in. Um, some of the standard, I mean, I, I, sat in, I sat in Paris last year when we were three up, three up against Argentina. Yeah, and there was 10 minutes to go and Leanne was kicking every ball because she was retired now and, you know, some of the choices that were made obviously by the national team manager were not the best ones and stuff like that, but the standards these girls have, I mean, the City players train four times a week. You know, a number of them are still employed, so they're working through the day, getting to training, etc., etc. So, um, I would have any female player from Glasgow City who have played at the highest level coaching at Berwick Rangers. So, but yeah, I'd love to see, I'd love personally to see Liam come back and do something. He's already been back to the juniors actually doing, uh, we do coaching service once a, month, once, once a month now, which has been a benefit of COVID with Zoom. But we do Zoom sessions with the juniors coaches now um, once a month and we bring in guests and that. So, Would you, Dave, say the attitude's different uh, in the female game, uh, the attitude and professionalism at that level in, in the women's game compared to, to maybe the men's game? Yeah, I think... The, down the, I'm talking lower down the division, not at the, not at the higher end. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it, yeah, I yeah, I definitely think so. I think, 
So I never used to be as peed off when I heard things negatively said about the women's game as I clearly am now because I'm involved in it and that. Um, even though when my son talks about women's teams, goalkeepers and stuff like that, he always gets a clip around the lugs as well. But but yeah, when I look at Leanne and Joe Love, you know, 170 odd caps for Scotland, if not, I think actually maybe more. Leanne Crichton, all these girls, the effort they put in, you know, th- those hours through the week, but not even out at those training sessions, outside those training sessions, to keep their bodies right and their mental state right and their fitness state right. Absolutely. I mean, I'm friends with a number of guys who still play on social media, on Instagram. I see them probably training two nights a week, and that's probably about it. I'm playing on a Saturday. So I would suggest that at our level, the seriousness and the standards are equally as high, if not higher, from a lot of the clubs probably that sit in the alone league at the moment. So, Obviously, you touched on, on your wife and maybe doesn't keep too great. How, how do you manage to juggle everything that's between your day job and Glasgow City and, and uh, down at Berwick as well? Yeah, I mean, the, the, the Berwick thing, I'm lucky because a lot of it has been laptop, Zoom, from a distance, Paul, uh, and then there are guys in the town who can carry the weight when we need them to. Um, same at City, there's a guy, Jimmy uh, Beatty, who's the academy manager, so he's been more fortunate in that he was furloughed du- during COVID, so he's done a lot of the heavy lifting for City in the academy whilst I've been probably working in that, so um, it's a challenge because I'm probably addicted to devices. I mean, I'm laughing looking at you, I've got my phone not too far away and I can see it flashing and there's a number of Slack messages going Some on. size ahead, isn't it, man? No, <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I've I, I probably neglected my family a lot over the years, um, foolishly. Um, I probably ruined my boy's football career in that I was a dad coach, you know, so he, he had a year where I wasn't coaching him there at the end and he played every week, every minute nearly, so he didn't when he was with me and, you know, so if, if I could wind back the clock, I definitely would change things, but I'm just the kind of person that, and it made me really smile when you said this before, if I do something, I've got to do it right. Um I'm maybe though doing some of the stuff I'm doing just now to the detriment of others around me. So I would say my work-life balance this year has been better with COVID. I think I've spent more time with my family. Um, my house looks better. My fences are all painted. Uh, but at the same time, I'm still I'm still keeping the football ticking over. So and my feedback to you it was genuine feedback. Yeah. No, because the show and it was Derek McInnes that that, that had mentioned you in the past. I think that's how we we kind of met. So it's not as if we're just saying it for the for the benefit of the show. Yeah, cool. Thank you. My name is Brown Ferguson, manager of Linlithgow Rose, and you are listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Division decider answer. Uh, just a reminder of the clues. We're looking for the year when Tayport won the East Region Super League. British and US troops invaded Iraq and Saddam Hussein's statue was toppled. Dirty Den returned to EastEnders 14 years after he was killed off, and AC Milan beat Juventus on penalties in the Champions League final at Old Trafford. Dave, you said 2002, was it? Yeah. Or you were 2005? Yep. Dave, it was 2003. That was one of my options. That was one of my two options, but obviously I hung with the 2002, but yeah. Hit the post. Yeah, cool. <laughs> Dave, uh, thanks for joining us this week, and uh, we hope you have a good season when it when it all kicks off again at Berwick, and um, it'd be good to see the club yeah. doing well and back up in the SPFL once more in the in the seasons ahead. And I, I just want to say as well, I mean, you know, uh, th- this year's been a tough year for everybody. I think the work that you guys do on these kind of shows is phenomenal. I think it, you know, I think more of us probably listen to podcasts now when we're out 
walking or running or painting fences than we've probably ever have done before. So, you know, fingers crossed, even though COVID hopefully will clean up, you know, keep it going in that. And I think it is genuinely appreciated by the football fans out there. So well done. Cheers. Thank you. Yeah, appreciate that. Shieldfield will always have a place in my heart because I once won the halftime draw there. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Gareth, did, Gareth did, you, did you tell them they could keep it and put it back in? 100% I did. Did you? 100%. Oh, that, sh- that shocks me. Very good. Uh, if you weren't sitting down, you'd be sitting down, Paul. Aye, I've just nearly fell off my chair, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> uh, don't forget, you can get in touch with the show with comments or suggestions for people to speak to. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment which helps others find us and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions.